Well, good morning, ZPC. Well, this is not technically, according to the liturgical calendar, um, Pentecost Sunday, but we are making it Pentecost Sunday because that's where the Jesus Storybook Bible is. And so, happy Pentecost Sunday to you, okay? And Betsy uh, did some flames for us. If you can see those, it's a little, maybe a little harder with the screen there, but um, as, a, as a reminder, as a symbol, of course, of the flames of that Pentecost Sunday. And so we are uh, excited to come and to celebrate and to uh, ask the Lord what he might teach us uh, this morning as we look at this Pentecost passage um, here in Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. And so I invite and encourage you to hear Uh, these words written by Luke. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being able to hear how you are at work all across the globe, how you are at work in Romania, how you are at work here as we have new members uh, joining this morning, Lord. But we, of course, are reminded that you have been at work for a long time in this world. And so we thank you, Lord, for this Pentecost passage. And we ask, God, what you might say to us as we listen for your spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, if you can believe it, we are getting to the end of our time in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It started a really long time ago now, it feels like, back in the end of August, I think is when we began all this, and now we're kind of getting to the end. But of course, before we finish off, we need to hear about the birth of the church, which of course is exactly why we want to talk about Pentecost Sunday this morning. I, uh, As I always tell the new members as we meet on that Saturday morning, it's wise for us to kind of go back back and to ask questions and to look at the birth 
of the church in order to see whether or not there is any resemblance between who that early church was and who we are at ZPC. And if there's not much of a resemblance, then we probably need to be asking some hard questions. And so we're here at Pentecost. If you were here last week, you'll know that we talked about the ascension. John uh, talked about that. He talked about how Jesus went up into the heavens and And the disciples were sitting there and were staring up in the heavens and wondering what to do next. And the angels had to come down and remind them that that Jesus had told them that they were to go back to Jerusalem, that they were to wait for the Spirit to come upon them. And it's kind of hard to know for sure exactly what it was that they were expecting. I mean, they had to know, having followed Jesus now for three years, that Jesus was always surprising them. And so they probably knew it was going to be something beyond what they could imagine. But who knows if they really could have had any idea what was going to happen. Because all of a sudden, before you know it, there are flames flickering, there are languages being heard, there's loud noises, there's people on the outside who are amazed and perplexed, and others who are accusing them of being uh, drunk uh, at at not even nine in the morning, as we'll hear uh, later on in Acts. And so all of this uh, stuff is happening. It is really like a grand opening bash, if you will. It's the grand opening for the church. But if we're honest, as good Presbyterians, most of us would probably tell you that it's not exactly the kind of grand opening that we are necessarily comfortable with. If this had been a Presbyterian church grand opening, first of all, it would have started with an agenda, right? so that we would have known what to expect and when to have expected it. We would have started with some bylaws. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. No flames allowed, right? I mean, we would have had everything kind of set out. We would have found the right officers already. We would have done all of that hard work. We may have opened up with a nice calm psalm, maybe a nice little prayer, and we would have known for sure that we were going to be done in one hour. This is what that grand opening would have looked like if it had been a Presbyterian grand opening, but it's not. It is a new church. It is a birth of the church grand opening. And so everything looks a bit different, a bit strange, a bit crazy, really. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is kind of an odd thing. And i got to be honest with you. One of the things that initially drew me to the Presbyterian church was the fact that we really didn't talk about the Holy Ghost all that much. Actually, I don't think we hardly ever talk about the Holy Ghost. We may talk about the Holy Spirit. That's a bit more formal, if you will. But we don't talk about the Holy Spirit all that much. Not nearly like we did when I was raised, of course, as you already know, in the Pentecostal church. And so uh, there was always such a focus on the Holy Ghost that I love the fact that for the last 14 years, I haven't had to deal with the wild and crazy Holy Spirit all that much. I mean, trust me, it's nice to know you're going to be done in an hour, right? And so I, I, in many ways, over these last 14 or 15 years, I have enjoyed it. But I've also begun to notice over the last few years that perhaps we miss out on something when we don't take very seriously the third part of the Trinity. Perhaps 
like a three-legged stool missing one of the legs. We're a bit more wobbly and perhaps not quite as in line or in touch with where God wants us to go because of the fact that by and large, we don't really deal with the Holy Spirit. So I've been kind of wrestling with some of that over the last few years and wondering, well, how do we do that? What's a good Presbyterian way for us to not necessarily make it the center part, but to certainly have it be there as a part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to follow and to really believe in the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit, by its very nature, is somewhat mysterious, and that's okay. But as I was looking about this passage this week, I realized that there's at least a couple of perhaps small things that we can think about in order to begin the discussion about the Holy Ghost. And the first thing it seems to me that we see is that the Holy Spirit is remarkably personal. When Luke's writing this in Acts, he says that the Holy Spirit rested on each of them and that all of them were filled. In other words, this is not just something reserved, as someone has said, for the select few who are enlightened. Rather, this is for all of us who follow Jesus. Now, some strains of Christianity will say, well, it only happens after, later on, after you've started following Jesus. I just don't, I don't agree with them, and we can talk about that later at some point. But I think when we begin following Jesus, the Spirit of God is upon us. And so it is remarkably personal. And so if you are following Jesus, whether you want to have it inside of you or not, the Holy Spirit is there. And the question is, what does that mean? What does that mean for us from day to day? How does that actually make a difference? And so One of the ways that we can look about what that makes a difference is to look at the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul tells us, here are some of the things about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one of the things that I should say before we go through that list is that whatever this is, it is going to be something that is outrageous, that is extraordinary, that is supernatural, and that does not come naturally to any of us, right? And usually in the Pentecostal world, that means you're speaking in tongues or you're prophesying. And while those things certainly may be a part, here's, I want to show you a list that is actually much more radical than that. Here's the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how many of you does this come naturally? There's one. All right, good. I'm not saying you're 18, but my mother once told me that at 18, you're smarter than you've ever been before and smarter than you will ever be again. Is that right? Yeah. But that's good. We got one, one out of a couple hundred. That's not bad, okay? But for the rest of us, this does not come naturally at all. And so the question is, is this something that you're working on? And is this something that you are willing to put yourself in a position, just like the disciples put themselves in a place to say, Spirit, we are asking you to come and to work inside of us. We are asking for you to work through us and help us be a people who are loving and who are people who are joyful and who are are wanting to be about peace and who are wanting to be patient and, and faithful and gentle. Are we working on that at all? Do we see that as being a part of what it means to have the Holy Spirit? That if we are a people of the Pentecost, then this should be a peep, this, these should be elements and fruit of who we are. Thanks, Betsy. 
The other part of that, though, to see is that not only is the Spirit of God incredibly personal, that it is also communal. In other words, as you look at this particular passage, we see that it fell on each of them, that all of them were filled. But then Luke goes on to say that they were all together in one place and that it filled the entire home. In other words, this did not just come to them when they were sitting there in their little prayer closet, as we sometimes say. No, the Spirit came upon all of them. And my point in this is to say that sometimes it's easy for folks to say, when they think about the Holy Spirit, to just think about what that means for them. And I'm here to tell you that it is difficult to talk about the Holy Spirit in individualistic terms because it almost always leads to something communal. Think about those gifts, being loving, being peaceful, being kind, being gentle. Guess what? Those all relate to how we are connecting to other people. And so the reality is, as they're talking here, that what Paul wants and what Jesus wants with the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God, if we are living there individually, if we are growing and being loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind, that it should begin to change the community as a whole. That it should help us to start becoming a community that looks different than other communities around us. That we should be united, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we should be united around the Spirit of God. That that, it is that, it is the Spirit of God that unites us, not anything else. And I'm here to tell you that if we are going to be united, the only way to do that is to allow the Spirit of God to take reign of this place. That was the line I was going to use until I started thinking about it more this week, and I realized it's not completely true. That actually there is a way for churches to be united without the Spirit of God at all. In fact, one might suggest that many of our churches do exactly that. Which is that if you don't necessarily want the wild and crazy spirit to be a part of the church, you can remain united as long as you make sure that you are a part of a community that is full of people who look exactly like you, who smell like you, who are basically in the same station of life as you, who think exactly as you do, who have the same types of jobs as you do, who have about the same amount of money as you do, who like to live in the same kind of places that you do, who like to do the same kinds of things that you do. If you find that particular place, then I want you to know you don't have to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to deal with the Spirit at all. Sure, there may be a little thing that pops up here or there, but if that really bothers you, then all you have to do is go someplace else where you can then find people who look like you and taste like you and have the same particular theological taste as you do. And guess what? You don't ever have to use the fruit of the Spirit because you don't have to be that gentle or patient or kind if everyone around you looks and thinks just like you do. It's genius. It's genius unless you look at Pentecost. 
Because the problem, of course, is that Jesus did not call us to be surrounded only by people who look like us and smell like us and think like us and come from the same places as we do. It is not happenstance. That when Paul is talking, or excuse me, when, when Luke is telling us this story, that he tells us that people came from every nation under heaven. And if you don't quite get that, Luke says, let me explain to you what I mean. Let me repeat it. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, people from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Cretans, Arabs. Do you get the point? These people did not speak the same language. They did not come from the same places. They probably had different thoughts. They probably looked different. All of those people who were called together, not by their similarities, but by the Spirit of God. And because they felt like the people who were gathered there were speaking their language, because they felt like they could connect in some way with them, they were drawn to the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that every church has to ask itself is by what is it united? Is it united around the Holy Spirit or is it united around their similarities? Let me say it again. Every church needs to ask itself this question. Are we merely united by how similar we are to one another or are we united by the Spirit? Because if we are merely united by how similar, then our community will look no different than any non-church throughout our area. But if we look different because we are clearly united around the Spirit of God, around Jesus and Jesus alone, then we will be exactly what the Spirit wants us to be, which is a witness to the community that surrounds us. So what am I talking about? Well, there's lots of examples. But let me just share one. It is fascinating to me I don't know if this fascinates anyone else or not, but it is fascinating to me that Costco looks a whole lot more like Pentecost Sunday than our sanctuary does. It is fascinating that Costco and Target look a whole lot more like Pentecost than we do. You walk into that place and all of a sudden, You hear different languages. You see people who clearly look different than us. You see people who clearly come from different sorts of places than most of us do. And you think, wow, I think I read something about this in Acts 2. But they're not worshiping God. They're buying stuff. And I hear the excuses. I hear it all the time. I give them. Well, you've got to realize that uh, the area of which we're a part is uh, really fairly homogeneous. And then you go less than three miles. I mapped it less than three miles south of here. Or you go to Target, which is less than two miles. I'd love to ask you all, how many of you live more than two miles from here? Raise your hands. So you're telling me that people can go to Target who look different than us, but they can't come to ZPC. Or people say, well, you got to understand that they have different tastes. 
You know, they've got different things that they're looking for and that this is kind of a part of the reason why. And I think to myself, well, that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. That should be the beginning of the conversation. So then what does it look like for us to start speaking more their language? What does it look like for us to begin thinking about things? What are we communicating to others? I mean, if we want to look like the people of Pentecost, if we want to be a people who are simply united by the Spirit alone and around Jesus Christ, then we have to start asking ourselves some difficult questions. We are always communicating something. So what is it that we are communicating that is keeping us from looking very different than what we look like? Now, this is not something where I can preach about this one Sunday and all of a sudden next Sunday everything's going to look different. I get that. But it's a conversation that we need to start, or at least we all need to be a bit unsettled by the reality that we find ourselves in every Sunday morning. There are other things. We could ask questions like, are we more uh, united by a particular political persuasion than we are by the Spirit of God? Are we, are we united more about particular theological tenets than we are about the only most important one, which is that we're followers of Jesus? Or we could ask ourselves, are, are, are we united? Are we excluding in some way those who are poorer than most of us? What are we communicating to folks that might make them feel less welcome here? Or, or, or do we have such a focus on young families? We love young families. But do we have such a focus on young families that we easily leave out the singles or the widows or widowers who are in our midst? What are we communicating to everyone? How are we speaking their language? It's not an easy question. It's a Pentecost question. It's not a question that I think about that much until I get back to this blasted text and that Holy Spirit who seems to keep saying, I work in disruptive ways. And if you feel too comfortable around the people whom you are with, and if you realize that you're not having to work that much on being gentle or peaceful or loving or kind, then maybe we need to have some other folks around us who are more trying to us so that we can begin to say, I want you to know the only reason I'm with you is because of the Spirit of God. Because when you're a community like that, that looks incredibly different, and you could could leave if you wanted to leave, and yet you say, you know what? I am staying here because this is the Spirit of God, and we are centered on Jesus and Jesus alone. You begin to have people question what is wrong with you, and are you not drunk? The Spirit of God is is a scary thing, if we're honest. And I want you to, let's be honest, having people around us who look different and act different and come from different places and think differently, if we are honest, that is scary as well. And yet the Spirit of God who calls us to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control is the same Spirit of God who says push those boundaries of what makes you comfortable so that you can be opened up to the surrounding community no matter how scary it might be. Because in that relationship, you will begin to experience the Spirit in new and fresh ways. Are we a people who are willing not only to be Presbyterian, but who are willing to be a people of the Pentecost? 
That's the question for us this morning. Not to solve, not to fix, but perhaps just to be a bit unsettled. To celebrate, to celebrate with joy the people who are joining us. And to ask, even in the midst of that, who are we easily leaving out? The Spirit of God is a crazy thing. But I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that if we are willing to be united by it, that it will take us places that we will never have dreamt. And that beyond the shadow of doubt, it will help us to reach people who need to know about the resurrected Savior, about the mighty deeds that God has done. May it be so.